Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Brian. And I'm Will. This is the podcast where we talk about everything Dungeons and Dragons, from ruined realms to rare religions. And today we're joined by a D&D icon, 22-time New York Times bestseller and creator of the titular character Dritz Dwarden. Hey there, this is R.A. Salvatore and I'm on the Dungeon Cast. Well, um, yeah, let's let's get into it. I got so many questions, and uh, our fans actually sent in some questions, which we can get into. Yeah, but first, later. how's your day going? Yeah, how are you? Good, good. I got my uh, <laughs> one of my grandsons over here for a sleepover tonight, so we're gonna have oh, some fun. Oh, that that's sounds so cool. fun. That's awesome. Um, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're a huge influence on D and D as a whole, and just such a huge icon. And I'm a big fan. So I, my first question is, you know, everyone knows you as the, the writer behind one of the most popular D&D characters of all time. You've written uh, over 22 novels. Uh, all, <laughs> 22, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, those were just <laughs> the New York Times bestsellers. 67? Oh, boy. <laughs> when did you know that you wanted to be a writer? Was there a moment that you just knew this is what you wanted to do? Yeah, when the first contract showed up. Yeah, uh, fair enough. That is fair enough. Finance. I was a math major. Oh wow! Oh wow! That's a big change. Yeah. What happened was I went to college and I started college uh, undeclared, but I was math computer science. Mm-hmm. And that was in the seventies. There weren't a lot of fantasy books. And there weren't a lot of bookstores. And there was no mm-hmm. internet. Yep. So I wasn't much of a reader at that point. I used to be, but school beat it out of me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'll do that. Senior year, my sister gave me The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings for the for a Christmas present. There we go. Big blizzard out there in 1978 out here in New England. And I was trapped in my mom's house for a week. So I read those books and fell in love with reading again. Oh, wow. wow. That's yeah. awesome. Bubbling up all the fantasy books I could. And when I ran out of fantasy books to read, I just wrote one. 
Oh, cool. Fantastic. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm t- we talk about Tolkien all the time it's a, on yeah, this show, it's and he's such a big stone. influence on me. I mean, yeah, it's Tolkien. Everyone knows Tolkien. So that's awesome. So, Thank you again, Mr. Tolkien. So how did, how did you end up coming to write for TSR and then eventually Wizards of the Coast? Were you, were you familiar with D&D before that? Oh, yeah. I started playing D&D in, excuse me, uh, 1980, 81, around there. And um, I was just using it as a creative outlet. Uh, I wrote a book, uh, 1982-83, a book called Echoes of the Fourth Magic. And actually, at that time, it wasn't called that, but that's what it came out as many years later. Uh, When I finished it, I didn't, wasn't writing it to get published, but when I showed it to my friends, they said, you should publish this. It's really good, whatever. And I, so I sent it out to a bunch of publishers, got horrible rejection letters. Ooh. And that just got me angry. Yeah. But, you know, in the meantime, I'm building my career working in uh, inventory and financial analyst uh, analysis and um, got married, kids coming along, but I kept writing. Then in 1987, early, early 87, I thought I had the book where I needed it to be. So I went to send it out again, and I looked in this book called The Writer's Market, which every writer should take a look at it before they Mm. submit. tells you who to submit to, who the editors are, what they want from you. Oh, wow. And I sent it to a bunch of places, and one of them was TSR because I knew the Dragonlance books. You know, Margaret Tracy's books were out and doing really well. So I sent it to TSR, and I got a call from them, and there was Mary Kirchhoff, and she said, you know, I really like this. Um, Can you set it in the Forgotten Realms? And I said, what are the Forgotten Realms? Oh, cool. Yeah, Yeah, they 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 weren't around around yet. Yeah, yeah. So how was I supposed to know? Right, right. And um, we couldn't set that book in the Forgotten Realms because that book started in our world and the realms aren't really related to our world. I see. She asked me to audition to do the second book in the realms. Okay. I did. And it was, I sent in a sample chapter and an outline for a book called The Tyrant of Icewind Dale, um, which became The Crystal Shard. Right. The first book in the Icewind Dale trilogy. And they said, here, here you go. Here's a very small check. Don't quit your day job. Right. <laughs> came out and it did really well. Got to like number two on the Walden's list or something, but it did oh, really nice. well. Mm-hmm. And, and they said, okay, we want another one, but don't quit your day job. And they sent me a little uh-huh. big tre- check. Uh-huh. And so I wrote Streams of Silver, and that one came out and did a little bit better. <laughs> oh, nice. And then they made a mistake because they started advertising the third book before they had contracted me to write it. Oh. So I got more of a percentage. Oh, there you <laughs> That's go. <good>. Hey. <laughs> That's great. And then they take those breaks. came out and they made the New York Times list and they said, and it and it, the sales went way up and it was doing really well. And they said, all right, we want three more. And people want to know where this dark elf came from. And maybe you should think about quitting your day job. <laughs> and in 1990, I quit my job and retired. Oh Dude, man, that's, that's so, so that's amazing, so awesome, spectacular, indeed. Awesome. So since since we've we've brought up Drizzt, I wanted to ask you, and I think everyone wants to ask, what was the impetus behind the character of Drizzt And I know Ben shared the story that he had heard, but we'd like to hear from you. He was almost okay. <laughs> so so how did it happen? It happened because they had asked me for a sample chapter for the audition. And the only thing they had sent me in the mail was Dark Walker on Moonshake, Doug Niles' book that was the first Forgotten Realms novel. Oh, okay. That's all they had printed at that point. Right. And 
if you look in the original version of Doc Walker on Moonshay, it's got these maps and it's just these tiny little islands. Uh, the Moonshay Isles. The Moonshay yeah, Isles. Isles. And they were even smaller in that book. Oh, gosh. And so I thought they were doing another Dragonlance thing. But right. I didn't really want to use Doug's characters. So I used, in the sample chapter, however, I used one of his characters just to introduce Wolfgar, who okay. was going to be the hero of my book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I used Dareth the Calumshite to introduce Wolfgar in the lair of a Verbeeg named Bigrin, which became, it was actually a furbold named Bigrin in Doug's world, but in the other part of the realms it became a Verbeeg or a giant named Bigrin, which okay, is in for sure. Shard. And so then I, I was sitting at work, it was uh, July 11th, I remember the day, and um, Mary Kirchhoff called and she said, look, I, I got to get in, no, this is actually about July, yeah, it was right after July 11th, she called, and she said, I, I got to get this, um, I got to go to a marketing meeting to sell this book and I need a, you know, I don't want you using Doug's characters. I said, well, I don't, don't want to use Doug's characters. And so right. she said, well. Then don't. I said, but the Moonshiles are tiny. Can I go back in time? I mean, how would Doug's <laughs> characters not know? They kind of run the place. She says, no, no, no. We don't want you in the Moonshiles. I said, what, do you want me in the water? Because that's all that was on the map. <laughs> oh, we didn't send you Ed's, Ed's original maps. Oh, no. <laughs> so they sent me a stack of eight and a half by 11 papers, pages, not numbered. Some of them just had like one line. Others oh, had a line with a mountain and a tree. Oh, do you have to like jigsaw puzzle them together? Then they had no key, no numbers, no nothing. It took me a day and a half to put them together at work. My boss was not. Oh, wow. Oh, he helped wow. me. Actually got on the floor and helped me. And so did his. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> yeah, they were going to lunch and they said, Bob, let's come on. We're going to lunch. This is the controller and the president of service of a multi, multi-million dollar high tech company. Oh, come wow. on, wow. lunch. I can't. I can't. I got too much work to do. As soon as they left, I put all my furniture out in the hallway. And... Uh, <laughs> I got on the floor. I tied. My, I took my tie off and tied it around my head like a bandana. And I got on the floor, and I'm, and all of a sudden I hear. I lost track of time. I hear. What are you doing? I turn around, and they were all standing there. <laughs> I told them what That's I was hilarious. doing, so they all took off their ties, tied them around their heads like bandanas, got on the floor with me, and we assembled the realms. Fantastic. Hell yeah! Anyway, That's so amazing. <laughs> we decided we were going to reset the book. We went through this process of resetting the book. Okay. Which was really frustrating. And finally, um, I get this call from Mary again. I'm a month end now in July, month end closing. I'm really busy. And she says, um, hey, uh, we need a sidekick for Wolfgar. I got to go to a marketing meeting to sell the book. And this is really important because I'm selling it to the salesman. We got to get them all excited. Okay. Oh, gosh. Okay. And I said, OK, well, you know, I'll take lunch. And I said, no, I'll call you back next week. She goes, no, 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 no. I have to go to a meeting and I need this character. I said, all right, I look at the clock. I said, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll bag lunch for you. And I'll come up with something and I'll call you back. She goes, you don't understand. I'm across the hall from a meeting and I'm late for the meeting and I need a sidekick for Wolfgar. And I need it now. Oh, man. man. What I had in my mind the whole time was Buddy Fantasy and that was Fafford and Gray Mouser. Oh, for sure. For sure. Which I adore. Mm -hmm. I just said, um, I don't know why, but off the top of my head, I said a dark elf. Oh, gosh. Black elf. They were called black elves then. Right. He said, a drow? And I'm like, yeah, a drow. And now I'm thinking. And they go, oh, yeah, a drow. A drow ranger. Because remember, they're dexterous. They can fight with two swords and weapons. You know, rangers can fight with two weapons. As second edition was getting ready to go on and everything. I'm like, yeah, a drow ranger. 
a Drow Ranger. I'm like, yeah, Drow Ranger. That'll be cool. No one's done that before. True. She says, uh, Bob, there's probably a reason why. And I said, no, 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 no. It's all coming to me now. It's all starting to flow. No, a Drow Ranger. And she finally, after about 20 minutes of arguing, she said, because she had to get to her meeting, she said, all right, I'm going to let you, because it's a sidekick, I'll let you get away with it. What's his name? And on the Bible, and I'm not even religious, but on the Bible, um, <laughs> Off the top of my head, I said, Dritz Duarden of Dameron the Shesburn on the Ninth House of Menzo Baranzan. Oh, my oh, gosh. That's and amazing. Said, what? And I said, I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> Make this up as a go. Said, What's a Menzo Baranzan? And I'm like, I think it's a city. It's got to be a city, right? <laughs> and she's like, um, can you spell this? And I said, nope. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. She hung up and went to her meeting. And that's how he was born. That's, world that's absolutely incredible. World building at its the finest. The character wrote itself. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I Great story. The book and the first scene I, I wrote when I got into the book was him running across the tundra when he gets jumped by some yetis. Oh, nice. Yeah, and that's a great introduction. The dwarf. And it was on like page two I realized it was his book. Yeah, oh, really? Okay. That was actually going to be a question I was going to ask. Like, when did when did Dritz take the stage and like away from Wolfgar? Wow. So I had him running across the tundra. I said, I like this guy. That's amazing. <laughs> cool, cool. So, okay. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, the rest is history. It, it, it's undeniable. Drizzt is the most popular, uh, not just Forgotten Realms character, I would say D&D character ever written. Um, he's obviously very compelling. He's very popular. I mean, from a what, couple weeks into us making the show, people were asking about Dritz immediately. Right. So here's my question to you. As the writer to this amazing character, why do you think Drizzt is so compelling and so popular to the masses? Um, you know, if I knew it, I'd bottle it and sell it to other writers. Oh, uh, fair enough. But fair I enough. think I think one of the things that made him really popular is when I started writing, fantasy was mostly the purview of teenage boys. I mean, right. that was by far the demographic. Thank mm -hmm. God it's not like that anymore. I agree. Uh, but when I started writing, if I had a book signing and there were 25 people there, it was basically 20 teenage boys and the five moms who drove them. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. It was, and so I, one of, there were a couple things about Dritz. One of these always frustrates me about pop culture is they always make the hero the guy with the biggest gun instead mm. of the guy with the biggest heart. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy to get the biggest gun, but it's really hard to do the right thing when it's hard to do the right thing. Yeah. So I think Driss, even though he makes all kinds of mistakes, he's always trying to do the right thing. Um, and and I, I think that's very appealing to people. Right. And, I, and then the second part is he's, a, he's an outcast and he's misunderstood. And who in high school doesn't feel that way? Yeah, it's very relatable. So I, you know, I, it doesn't surprise me anymore. It does still surprise me. But from the time this all started, thousands and thousands of letters and emails and Facebook PMs later, every single week, I'm getting several from people that say, I was in a really dark place at a really dark time in my life, and I found this character, and he got me through it. Wow. And it blows my mind every time. Um, but it's it's really, it's, it's, it's humbling and it's inspiring. And it's, it's, you know, all I ever wanted to do in my life is, is take care of my family and leave the world a little better than I found the world. And it feels like I'm on that path a little bit. That, that's very satisfying for me. 
Absolutely. Here, here to that. Yeah. And you're a notable creator with a, a, a very relatable character. And it, it definitely shows people do respond that way. Even talking to us, they love, love that character. They feel very passionately. Yeah. And thing- I think the thing that really hooked was in the Dark Elf books. <laughs> Excuse me. When they came out, I did those essays at the part of each section. It's kind of like Dritz's philosophical musings to himself. He's trying to sort out the world. And what I'm right. really doing there is I'm is is I use all the characters in my books to make sense of the world. Mm-hmm. And that's him trying to make sense of the world. And I think that resonated with a lot of people. Yeah, getting those inner thoughts, making someone really personal by doing that. That's fantastic. I love the, the idea of character building that way, too. That's great. Yeah, that's super awesome. So most fans know you, obviously, as the creator of Drizzt Oerden, but I think most uh, D&D fans don't realize that you're also primarily responsible for a ton of the lore pertaining to Drow and Forgotten Realms that most people just consider, like, canon. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, like, before you, Drow were just monsters that lived in a cave. There was, like, a page of lore. Trust me, I know. I do research for this show constantly. (laughs) When I go back to the old editions and I'm, like, trying to look up rich lore on a monster, I'll get, like, two paragraphs. So my question is, like, how did you approach developing Drow society and culture almost from scratch? Uh, Well, what happened was after they when they signed me back up and wanted me to quit my job to do the Dark Elf trilogy, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I had my Fiend Folio and that had an entry on Dark Elves Mm -hmm. and I had the old modules, uh, Descent to the Depths of the Earth, Queen of the Demon Web Pits, Vault of the Drow. Remember those? Yeah, I had those. That's that's where like the snake headed whips came from in the matriarchal society and all that. Mm hmm. So I called TSR and I said, okay, I've got these, I've got these two things with these three modules in the Fiend Folio, but that's all I have. What else are you going to send me about Drow? And they said, that's all there is. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And I said, well, <laughs> what do you want me to do here? And they said, we're giving you carte blanche to create the Drow in, in Forgotten Realms. Wow. And there you so go. I thought about it for a while. I'm trying to think of this city now named Menzo Baranzan because I said that on the phone. <laughs> and I'm trying to think of a society that from the outside would look incredibly evil, but sure. still has right. enough basic codes within it or codes of honor so that it, because it was just wildly chaotically evil that only be one person left alive, right? Yeah, a society couldn't function like that. So I took out my copy of Mario Puzo's The Godfather. <laughs> I based the Drow City on the five families uh. of New York. That's there awesome. you go. It's like An a mom. That's great. Kid from New England, you're right. What you know? Fantastic. Hey, there it is. That's so cool. <laughs> so okay. So In our own godmother. The Godmother, indeed. <laughs> and you did a great job, sir. I love it. So in our online conversations, uh, I I remember you noted that our guest, uh, Ben Sherman from Favor in History. Shout out to Ben. He did a great job. Thank you, Ben. But you know, you noted that he was a bit muddy on the details for a lot of the more recent Drizzt adventures. So I want to ask you the same question I asked him. What has Drizzt been up to lately? <laughs> How many hours you got? <laughs> Basically, what happened is... Dritz went through, he and his friends achieved, and then, of course, it kept getting taken away from them. They got Mithril Hall, then they had to go rescue the halfling. They went and rescued the halfling, and then the drow attacked. And then Dritz felt bad, so he went back to the drow. This is all in the first few books, because he didn't want to keep putting his friends in peril. But then we did the Hunter's Blades trilogy, and it it got wider again. And and at this point in time, um, now I'm with Watsy. Mm 
I'm not with TSR anymore. I had a very bad breakup with TSR. Now I'm with Watson. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because okay. they asked me to come back. I'm doing the Hunter's Blades trilogy. And I'm going, and what I'm hoping to do is now start focusing on other characters. Um, actually, it was, yeah, it was three books. And, and I couldn't, it was actually Paths of Darkness. I always mix them up. There's so many. There's like 35 yeah, of there's them. There's a lot of them. <laughs> but I'm doing these books and I wanted to focus on other characters. And so I did like Servant of the Shad with Intruder and Jarl Axel being the heroes. And they didn't want me to do that. They wanted me to keep doing drifts. So, okay. So basically I'm just coming up with new adventures and storyline. We're kind of going around, along. And then fourth edition comes up. Oh boy. And yeah, I'm, that was a big one. I'm just starting on, I think I was just starting the Orc King and the transitions, but I don't think it was called transitions at that point. But fourth edition turns Forgotten Realms on its head. Fourth edition turned everything on its head. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I'm flying to Gen Con that year, and I've got the Bible they sent me on fourth edition, and I'm reading it. Cool. And I'm seeing World of Warcraft because uh, of floating yeah. cities and things. And I'm seeing <laughs> all these other things. We get in there, and Ed Greenwood and I are sitting in the room with a one. I think Thomas Reed was in there, and then a bunch of the game designers and the guys running the brand. And they're like, this is going to do and then what are you, on and on and on and on. And I'm like, what are you thinking? I'm like, why are you doing this? Why are you jumping at 100 years ahead? And they're like, right. well, you know, we want people a place to jump on. I said, we just gave them a place to jump off. And I'm, I'm freaked out here. And I'm the only one screaming. But I was right. Screaming. And I'm yeah. like, you could accomplish the same thing you're trying to do by just having a plague wipe out most of the known lands. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you want to go 100 years ahead? I said, because I've got a halfling, I've got an old dwarf, and I've got two humans. And 140-year-old humans don't fight very well. Nope. No, they don't. And so, well, this is the way it is. And so now transitions became me having to figure out how to get rid of the characters. And I walked out of the meeting, and Ed Greenwood was as distraught as I was. Yeah, I bet. And he looked at me, and he said, Bob, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to think longer term than they are, and we're going to figure out how we're going to put this back. Because five years from now, they're going to come to us, and they're going to say, fix it. (laughs) Right, right. And so Ed and I started plotting. And I plotted the companions. Even though I didn't think it was ever going to happen. I thought those characters were gone. But when they... So, you know, we get to we get to Gontelgrim and now Bruner goes away. And so we've got I've gotten rid of all of Dritt's old friends. Okay. Wolfgar went to the north. Caddy Brian Regis passed on. Bruner died in Gontelgrim. And now so I said, okay, well, I'll explore the darker side of the world. Dritz gets in with a bad crowd. And so for the rest of the Neverwinter series, he's hanging out with Entreri and Dahlia. Oh, and some really bad apples. Mm-hmm. And He's trying to stay true to himself, and it's hard. And so finally we get to the last threshold. And by now I know that they came to us, and they want us to fix it. So I write the last threshold. At the end of the last threshold, Dritz is on the mountaintop, and he's dying. He's been mortally wounded by Dahlia. And it looks like the end. Mm -hmm. And then I got to write The Companions. And The Companions remains one of my favorite books, even though I did something you should never do in a book and I resurrected characters. Right. Okay. <laughs> and it's the reason it's my favorite book, though, is because the way I resurrected them, since they're with my leak, my leaky, my leaky's the one that put them in this like pocket heaven and let them back out again. Mm-hmm. They resurrect with full consciousness as babies. Oh, so oh gosh. Born into the world. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
So I've got Regis in his crib, basically, determined that he's not going to be the tag-along, so he starts working with a button to make sure he's dexterous. Oh, and that's wow. that's okay. really cool. Regis, so what I did is I gave I gave the three of them, Regis, Bruner, and Caddy Bree, a mission, a different uh -huh. way to look at it, uh -huh. the way I thought readers would look at it, and the way I would look at it. You know, you always say, oh, if only I could go back to high school knowing what I Yeah, did. I was literally about to say that, yeah. So I've got Caddy Bree, who's basically the con continuity of the previous chapter. She's trying to find Dritz to help him in this battle between Loth and Maliki that's coming up. But she's she was it's like she's never gone. It's like she was held in suspended animation, kind of knew what was going on and just raring to get back into it. OK, mm -hmm. so they all make a pact. They'll meet when they're 20 years old or whatever it was. And they, they go out of the woods and they're reborn in different parts of the realms. So Caddy Bree uh, comes back. Um, to a, a couple, uh, and she, but she knows from the beginning her job, what she's there for. Mm -hmm. Regis comes back, and all he wants to do is this time around not be a drain on the group. He wants to not be the tag along that everyone has to protect. He wants to contribute. So, despite the fact that he's still got that cowardice in him, he's fighting to overcome it and to be the best he can be as a fighter, as a thief, whatever. Just whatever he can do, he wants to come back and contribute. Right. Brunner, meanwhile, is just pissed off at the world. Because to Bruna, bringing him back cheapened his death and cheapened uh, his first life. He had lived a glorious life as a dwarf. He really Hollum, If he's back, if they can just bring you back, what's the point of anything? So Bruna was answering that question for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I got to follow these three characters all the way through. And at the end, when they're on the mountaintop and they find Drist, I'm writing the book and I'm just about done the book. And for some reason, I typed that Guinevere's ears went back and she growled. And as soon as that happened, I knew it was Wolfgar. And I'm oh, like, okay. he came, because you don't think, I didn't think he came back. He went into the pond. If you go into the pond, you go on to the actual afterlife, whatever it may be. Uh -huh. But he actually didn't. He came out of the pond and went back and came back. But I didn't know it until the last paragraph of the book. Oh, wow. So that was very cool for me. And I love yeah. that. Since so since then, they've reclaimed Gauntlegrim. Um, they, they've, there's been this massive war of the Silver Marchers that they've gone through. And now what I'm doing in the newer books, which is very cool, is I've always wanted to write a book about Zach Nefane, Dritz's father, and Jarl Axel, who's the coolest oh. character. Right. Way back in time, Dritz was born. Mm -hmm. So I'm writing the new books, and parts one and three are back in time with Jarl Axel and Zach Nefane in the Dark Elf City. Many, many centuries before Dritz is born. And the new parts, two and four, are following the story from where I ended with Hero. Okay. So it's very cool. Yeah, it sounds really cool. I mean, um, that's all I care about. So the hell with the rest of you. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, okay, this kind of lends me to my next question, or my next two questions, in fact. So um, Forgotten Realms is a shared universe. Uh, dare, I, dare I say it's a really crowded universe. Uh, what do you find to be the pros and cons, and I can already tell what some of the cons already are from what you've told us, of writing stories in a shared universe versus a self-made setting? Well, the, the writing process is the same. Okay. Except I can't blow up cities. Oh, that's yeah. true. <laughs> and every now and then they'll ask me if I can include something. Like when the game was coming out for Neverwinter, the new one, the, the one that Cryptic did, the MMO. Oh, yes, I've played yeah, it. Yeah, they asked me, can you can you destroy Neverwinter? Because we want to we wanna destroy it so they can rebuild it for their game. Because they're using different, it's a different company, different art assets and all of that. Right. So they let me blow up a city. I was like, excited. yes, I'll blow it up. And <laughs> That's fantastic. Did. That's great. Um, but um, 
other than that, it's been, I really don't have a lot of downside except that you ha- I have to accept the fact that the game has changed. Right. And with you each know, edition. I'm writing this improvision for the drow. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and things have changed. So it's, it's hard because I remember when like third edition came out and they started with all the challenge ratings. I think it was three, five or whatever. And I got, I mean, I'm getting letters from people saying, how could Dritz and Wolfgar kill a white drag, white dragon? That's challenge rating 25. And (laughs) And so I referred them to the monster manual one where it had 25 hit points. There you go. (laughs) Something like that, you know, because the game has changed so often and and it's hard because I can't really keep up with it. I try right. my best to stay within the new rule sets, mm-hmm, but you know you, you've got to have that leeway. And then the other thing is, like, you don't want to run over somebody else's area where they're working. Right. I guess right now I'm the only person writing D and D books. So. Yeah. Now I think about it. Yeah, they Forgotten Realms kind of downsized in that area right now. Wizards isn't doing books anymore. Yeah, Honestly, I think I read that a couple years ago. Was, I wrote Hero to be the last Ritz book. Oh wow. Because they were done. They told me they were done. Right. And then after about a year, I was missing him. So I got in touch with them and I had an idea. And they went along with it. And they let me license it to and go through HarperCollins. They still That's- have full, you know, they, they still read the books and say yes, no, yes, no. Right. They We worked out a deal. And they've oh, wow. Been, they've been fantastic. That's awesome. That's, I'm so happy to hear that. It's good to hear. So you, when you write for a character as long as you've written for Driz, how do you keep the development of him fresh? Do you ever experience writer's block? Do you ever feel like there's going to be a day when you just decide, you know what? That's how I'm ending it. I'm done. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> first of all, writer's block is just a lack of confidence. Okay. And, fair enough. and you know what? I learned a long time ago as I had three kids in college or whatever <laughs> that you don't have time for writer's block. You're a, pro- you're a professional writer and there are lots of people's jobs are depending on you. True. Um, I love that so shut all. up, sit down and type. And that's, yeah. Um, but no, because you say, you know, how does the character keep growing? Okay. I, I just turned 60. <laughs> I'm not the same person I was when I was 29 and right. started writing dritz. Mm-hmm. And I just, I have questions about the world. I have expectations that get shattered all the time, um, whether it's you know the social structures around me or the way the world has changed. Think how much the world has changed in the last 10 years. Think yeah. about how much the world has changed in the last 20 years. Think about how much the world has changed in the last 30 years. It's dramatic. And so mm-hmm. I'm going through changes as I'm trying to adapt to the new realities. So is he. So in that regard, I, I really haven't had much of a problem with the emotional development of the characters. And that's more than him because, you know, there's a bunch of other ones that are there too. Right. That makes sense. That's how I do it. And with Bruner, it's basically, he's in, he's trapped in a cycle. He rescues a Dwarven Hall, becomes king, gets bored with being, being a king and wants to go on the road and kill somebody. And, you know, He's the easiest one to write. But with Regis and the, the Companions, that book, The Companions, gave me the opportunity to really define who these people wanted to be. They were being given a second chance. Yeah, that's a really cool that's idea. Cool. So so when you're writing a story, do you feel like your your approach to it, do you feel more like a sculptor where you're, you're chipping away to find what's buried beneath? Or are you, do you feel more responsible for creating some of like the character development and like the, the storyline, like situational things? A hundred percent the former. Yeah, That's you're good. a discovery writer. They're talking. Yeah. To me. 
I, I didn't know who Dritz was when he was running across the tundra in that book. I just started listening to him. Uh, That's Intrary, awesome. The only reason Intrary was in the only the only Adamus Intrary came into being because I really enjoyed writing the Crystal Shard, and I hope they'd give me a second book. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the book, I had Bruner on his deathbed w- faking it, wake up when Dritz agreed to go find the Dwarven city. And I had Regis walk into the, one of the ten towns, Bryn Chander, and he's, the blood drains from his face because he sees this assassin with a jeweled dagger on his hip, this signature jeweled dagger. And he knew it was Adamus Intrary. That's how Intrary came into being. I had no idea who he was. Okay. I thought he was going to be dead in Streams of Silver. I thought he was going to be the big bad guy who didn't get out of that book. That's amazing. I get as many letters about him as I get about Dritz. Oh, yeah. He's popular. That's for sure. Yeah. I had no idea that was going to happen. It just happens. Right. And I just go with it and have fun. That's if amazing. I knew it was going to be on every page, I'd be bored. Yeah. Fair I, enough. I that. Yeah. I didn't know oh. Wolfgar was coming back till the last paragraph of the book. That right. happens right. to me all the time. So it makes it fun. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds amazing. So here's a question. Do you still play Dungeons and Dragons? Just started playing again. We were playing. I, I did a Kickstarter about five years ago for a game called Demon Wars Reformation. Oh, nice. And it's an RPG set in my Demon Wars world. Right. Where gemstones are the source of magic. And um, and my son, who's a, a major developed game, computer game developer with a major company, and I won't tell you because he told me never tell anyone. Got it. Um, okay. But he works on a game you know well. Everyone does. Oh, really? And, okay. and it's not World of Warcraft. Okay. And... Um, but he developed, designed this game for me with with me and my other son Gino, and um, it's it's a blast. So we played that for about five years, and then I decided I really had to try fifth edition and figure it out because I'm still writing. Mm-hmm. And um, my daughter just did a fundraiser because she ran the Boston Marathon again, oh, and cool. she auctioned off seats at the table with me. So we oh, played, that's awesome. We play the second, we play the fifth edition game, and I said this is really fun, and we brought it to the group, and we've been playing. Yeah, I, I have to say, uh, I've been playing since third edition, and I'm I'm in love with fifth edition. I love it so much. Um, do you DM or do you play? Are you a player or a dungeon we're master? We're doing rotating DMs right now, but for some reason, I keep getting stuck with it. Oh, uh, hey, I, I wonder that why. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so, if you had the choice to write a story set in any other D and D setting outside of Forgotten Realms, you know, Dragonlance, Planescape, etc., would you? Number one, would you do that if if you were given the chance? And uh, which uh, which setting would you choose? I did. I have had the chance. Have you? Okay. Um. Well, I was asked by someone to do it, but then somebody else said no because they wanted to keep the authors known for the world they were in. They didn't want uh. to cross it. Right. Um, I would have to say probably Dragonlance. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Jarlaxle and Raceland would be an interesting encounter. Ooh, um, yes. But yeah, probably Dragonlance. I mean, I love Margaret and Tracy. They're, yes. they're dear friends of mine. They're wonderful people and great writers. And I adore I adore their work. I love Dragonlance so much. Landscape is fun, though. It and is. You, you know, when Troy was writing Cannibal Halflings, man, I was so jealous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. And Ravenloft would I I'm, I wanted to write a Ravenloft book. They wouldn't let me. Oh, really? So I wrote so I wrote the Clara Quintet, which is about vampires. Oh, there you go. There you go. You won't let me. I'll write my own. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Were your vampires like uh, like Dungeons and Dragons style vampires? Did you like kind of keep it keep? Well, it, it was set in Forgotten Realms. So okay, so I believe so. Anyway, yeah. Well, I oh. actually had the best vampire death ever in the book. Oh, cool. Oh, nice. <laughs> How'd that go? Yeah, how'd that go down? 
well, I have these two dwarves in the Clara Quintet called Ivan, uh, Ivan and Pickle Boulder Shoulder. Uh-huh. And Pickle's a do that, a druid. Okay. And he doesn't talk. He says, Ooh, oi, boom, me brother, shalala. And that's about it. He's got some so responses. They had an idea when they were trying to catch, every time they were fighting the vampire, he would turn into this gaseous cloud and leave the room. So Ivan and Pickle sucked them into a bellows, capped it, ran outside, and blew them out into the sunlight under. <laughs> cool. That's fantastic. I love it. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms, to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the part of the episode where I'm usually not talking about that last thing, but I'm going to this time a whole bunch. Mr. Salvatore, thank you so much for coming on to the Dungeon Cast. When we started the show, we didn't think we were going to get anywhere near having somebody of your caliber on our show. So thanks so much for agreeing to come on and uh, interviewing with us. It was a great conversation. Um, Definitely a first for me. Uh, so yeah, thanks so, so much. Um, and if you're listening to the show, if you can hear the sound of my voice, thank you so much because it's because of, of you guys that we're able to do such awesome stuff that we're able to continue to, uh, expand and grow and do new things. Uh, I I'm so into it and it's all because of you guys. Thank you so much. I love you. 
and Will also loves you. He can. He. We decided that we weren't going to interrupt the flow of our conversation with Mr. Salvatore for the short rest, so I'm doing it by myself this time. A couple of promotional things. We have the next Dritzt book coming out uh, in September. It's called Boundless. It looks awesome. I checked out some of the cover art. Uh, looks freaking cool. Um, and I did that by clicking on a link to the R.A. Salva store. Yes, you heard me correct. That's R.A. Salva store. Awesome name. Uh, it's actually for customized books. Well, when I say customized books, let me clarify. You can buy R.A. Salvatore books there and you can have them personalized. So Ari Salvatore will sign them with like a little note. You just tell them what you want. Uh, I believe Mrs. Salvatore, Mrs. Salvatore helps with running that one. So kudos to her and way to go. Awesome job. The The site is very like fluid and nice to be on. So that's way cool. One last thing. Uh, don't forget about our ongoing contest to enter to win the Descent into Avernus release coming out. Uh, let's see. You can go on Twitter, find the Dungeon Cast. At the dungeon cast and you can check out the rules there you can enter one time there you can also enter another time on instagram the dungeon cast check us out on there find the post you need to follow the rules you guys you guys are smart you'll get it you'll get there so let's get back to the show so You've also been the writer for a couple video games. Um, namely, the two that come to my mind are Kingdoms of Amalur and Demonstone. Both are very good games. I haven't played the Kingdoms of Amalur, but it looks great. And I'm, I love Demonstone. That's actually one of like my cult classic favorites. And uh, you, you, again, you wrote the stories to these games. What would you say is the difference between writing a story for video games versus traditional novels? Well, the big difference is when you're writing for video games, you have to always keep in mind that the character the player is playing is the most important character in the story. Right. When I'm writing a book and you're walking down the road with Dritz and Wolfgar and Caddy Bree, you're living vicariously through them. You're seeing the world through their eyes. In a video game, you're going to see the world and you're going to you're going to write the script yourself. That's the whole point of the video game. Right. So that sense. that's the big difference right there. I didn't. And to clarify, I did not write Reckoning, Kingdoms of Amalur, Reckoning. Oh, I created the world. Oh, I see. I'm I was sorry about that. The team on no, it's a common. My name's on the cover because they're trying right. to sell it, right? Yeah, and it sold like a ton, and it's still selling like crazy. And it's a wonderful single-player game. Um, but that the credit for that game for the narrative goes to the narrative team at Big Huge Games because we oh. had acquired Big Huge Games, and Ken Ralston was the lead designer on that. Uh, you may have heard of Ken. He's done. He did like the Elder Scrolls. Um, he's done a lot of big things. Yeah. And, and so Mark Nelson and Ken Ralston and their team down in, in Maryland actually did wrote the stories for that game. Then they came up and they had to sit with me and a couple of uh, the guys that worked for me over at 38 Studios. And we went through it with them and we edited it with them and oh, gave them ideas for maybe integrating it more into this huge world that we had created. The world, the world for Amalur is a 10,000 year history and it's, the, the wiki is several thousand pages long. That's really cool. I got to leaf so through that. Bonkers. That sounds um, that sounds amazing. <laughs> um, so I've played Demonstone. Um, I love that game. I, I just said that before. And in Demonstone, Drizzt makes uh, an excellent appearance. Actually, that's my first introduction to the character of Drizzt Orden is in the game Demonstone. Um, have you ever been approached about making a game centered around Drizzt? Maybe. 
Okay. Okay. Uh, That little implant in the back of my head is starting to flash. I got to be. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. With Demon's Stone, my only regret about that game is because that game, if you remember, well, you know it. But mm-hmm. when it came out on a disc, you could yeah. play any either one, any of the three characters, and the other two would shift to AI. Right. And that took up so much room on the disc that the story got cut by three quarters. Oh, oh no! Wow. I've always thought the game was a bit short, but it was very short because of that. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, I think people were saying they were only getting a couple of hours of playtime out of the game. Yeah, I, I think I finished it in six hours. It was because of the. The limitations of the technology at the time. Oh they wow! Ten discs and you know, I didn't yeah, do it back then. Um, and that's. But other than that, that was my first real experience in working with a video game, and it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I love that game. Thirty eight studios for four years. Oh wow! <laughs> we designed this incredible world, and I hopefully someday more of it will get out. Awesome. Um, well, I don't know if I should ask this next question, but I'll ask it anyways, and you can decline to, to answer. Uh, my question is, if you had complete control over a Drizzt game, what kind of game would you want to see made? Oh, I, that's an easy question, actually. Oh, okay, cool. Um, remember when Telltale did The uh, Walking Dead? Oh, yes, I do. Yes. How fantastic the storytelling was? Yes. I would love to see a game. Well, it'd be one of two. If it was a co-op game, I would love it for it to be the companions of the hall on an adventure. So you could play one of the companions. That's right. Or your own character in with the companions. That'd be cool, too. Um, but if it was but one game I would love to see is I would love to see a game from when Driss is born in Menzo Berenzan where you can make the decisions he makes. So like a why. Are you going to be good, Dritz, the way he went? Oh. Or are you going to give in to the drow? That's and cool. It, like the Telltale did The Walking Dead, right? Yeah, I think that would be amazing. What an excellent take! That yeah. would be excellent. I didn't expect Choose that answer, adventure. but that is the right answer. That is such a good answer. Remember Baldur's <laughs> Gate? Chris was in Baldur's Gate. Yes, yes, I do. Okay, so I didn't know he was in Baldur's Gate. I'm playing Baldur's Gate, <laughs> and I come down these woods, and there's this drow dancing around with two scimitars, killing gnolls. Hi there, and I'm like, oh, this guy looks familiar. <laughs> so after we wiped out the knolls, I was up to him, and I kept trying to cue him to give me his scimitars. Or I know what he has; I gave it to him. He's got some really good stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so then I decided, well, I have to kill him and take the stuff. So he, <laughs> he t- but they made him such a munchkin; he totally wiped out my uh, party. Of course. Right. Of course. Wow. So of course. about a, mu- a couple of months later, I got this friend up in Canada that I met at a convention, a kid named Mike Beaton, mm-hmm. and I get this email from Mike up in Canada, and he says. Bob, I'm really sorry. I hope you'll forgive me. I was playing Baldur's Gate and I killed Dritz. And I said, how? I will absolutely forgive me if you tell me how. Yeah. And he amazing. did. And pretty soon my entire group was outfitted very well. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. That's, That's amazing. So cool. That is an amazing story. Once. I kept restarting the game and killing like 50. <laughs> you got to find that loot, man. That's great. Yes. So uh, when can we expect a Dritz Durden movie? When Whoa. is this going to happen? Oh, man. You know... This has been going on since the late 90s where I keep hearing fits and starts that never go anywhere. I, right. I don't know. I, I, I don't. Obvi- when I was working with Lucas, don't you think I wanted to drop Homeland on his desk? But I can't. It's right. You know, Hasbro owns Watsy. Watsy owns the realms. It's up to them. There's Ooh. been a lot of interest. There was also okay. a lot of there was also a lot of issues that were holding them back because of the whole. Sweet Pea Studios had the rights to do the movies. They did the D&D movie, then they could do a sequels, 
then it went to court on the third one or the fourth one or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. There was this big court case that went through whether, whether what constitutes a sequel, who really has the rights. So it was this okay. huge legal battle. And it, it all got settled. They finally settled it all. And so I, I know that this, you know, is it going to be a movie? Are they going to do Netflix adventure? You know, a that series would be cool. Or an HBO series or a movie or or are they going to do anything? I don't know. And, you know, from where I'm sitting, there's really nothing I can do about it except hope it happens and hope if it does, they ask me to be a part of it because I'd love to get into that. Well, really I hope cool. so, too. And I think um, hope if they do it that they don't PG it. Oh, oh definitely yeah, not. No, that, that would be, be a bad. Move. Gonna do the draw. Do them. Do them angry. Do Justice. them sexy, and have some fun with it. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> gotta. Do, you gotta stay true to it. I think a Netflix sort of or HBO thing would be like so so oh, niche yeah. and perfect for this. Yeah. Um, if you had say over what section of Drift's story gets transformed into that medium, what what series, which trilogy would you choose? Well, I think it would. My guess is it would start with Icewind Dale. Right. Because that's more accessible. Okay. But what I'd really yeah. love to see is Homeland. For I sure. I'd love to see Homeland done well. And I don't know, you could do it with lighting like the 300, for example. Right. And how would you do it? And that, that, was, that would be the challenge is how would you do it? Uh, and I think there are a couple of different options. And there are also a couple of pretty obvious in this day and age pitfalls. And you'd have to be very careful about certain things. Right. Yes, I I agree, and I understand what you're referring to. The world's a different place. The world is a different place. Yes. The world is a very different place, and I accept that, and I have I have no bitterness this to it at all. Yeah. Um, But you'd have to be really. You'd have to do it honestly, Mm -hmm. faithfully. It's. It's delicate for sure. Absolutely, I completely understand. Getting like a new person to buy to buy in. I do. I agree. I think people overthink it. You know what? And I've said this to Wizards of the Coast for years. If you want to change the color of the Dark Elves, I'll help you retrofit the books. I have no problem. The only the only important thing is that they're recognizable. Yes. Identifiable as individuals. That's how Drift's faces such racism when he comes to. I mean, the whole point of the Drift's books is that racism is stupid. Yeah. I mean, that's the the major theme of the Drift's books is that. It's the content of your character, not the color of your skin, right? That's, that's yeah, what the books are all about. Yeah. So I would have no trouble at all if they wanted to do blue with a purple or whatever they want to do. Exactly. Or or are the Lothian drow, is that just one culture of drow? Right. That's, ten, that's, that's how I tend to approach it in my own game. Black Panther, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I don't know. And, and I'm, I'm cool with whatever they come up with, if they ever do it, and I hope they do someday. That's yeah, me too. Take. Okay. So I want to move away from D&D and Forgotten Realms for a moment because I want to talk to you for a minute about the Demon War Saga. Now, <laughs> now you're in the <laughs> So this series is probably, I mean, I could be wrong here, but I think it's probably the second thing you're most known for writing. And even though I haven't read it, I've read a lot about it in uh, you know preparation for today's interview. And it's got me fascinated. It sounds amazing. And based off many of our fans' comments, it seems that many of our fans have no idea that you write fantasy stories in your own original settings. So do you, would you mind giving us a rundown of the setting for the Demon War Saga and what that's like? Sure, but first the correction. I think it's probably the third thing I'm known. Oh, okay. Okay. Sure. What, what comes in number two? A certain Wookiee. Oh, yeah, oh, that's yeah, my that's next on, question. That's on the list. <laughs> but anyway, we'll get to that later. Yeah. Uh, Demon Wars. Yeah, what happened was I had this 
when I wrote the um, the sort of bedware books, I was trying to create this whole world, but I didn't have time because I was doing two plus books a year at the time. And I just didn't have the time to do it. And I had this idea for a magic system based on gemstones and a, ch- a society with a church structure. And I was, I really wanted to do um, my two biggest uh, inspirations for Demon Wars were Umberto Echo's Name of the Rose, which is an amazing book. And I, it's not the book I usually would not like a book like that because it's, 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 it's very heavily detailed. I usually don't. Mm. Read the heavily. I want action. Get me going. Right. But I love that book and I couldn't put it down because I grew up Catholic. Mm-hmm. And that really talks about the schism in the Catholic Church when they had oh. the fight about wealth. You know, no, no, we're the we're the children, we're the disciples of God. We should have all the wealth to build these soaring cathedrals and give everybody hope. And then the other side saying we should be poor like Jesus and we should give the money to, you know, to help the common people, the peasants. Right. Right. And so Demon Wars is pretty much that story, except it's with magical gemstones, some of which can heal. So you have the church hoarding them, but they're not really. And they're selling some to like the noblemen for favors and stuff. So there's all this corruption in the church with the the lords of the kingdom, of the kingdom, all the lords and the barons and everything, where maybe, okay, we'll make you a suit of armor that will, that has a heal spell in it. You know what I mean? Something like that. Um, But then, then you have the, the more common thing, well, not the more common, but one guy in there is saying, well, why aren't we giving, why aren't we going to like these little farming communities and teaching one guy there how they use the, the soul stone? Because then he can heal people when they get run over by a mule or something. Right. And, and, we, and we could do good, but the church won't hear of it. So that's one of the big conflicts within Demon Wars. But the bigger conflict is that is the demon. And, and the, the central question of the story is, are demons external creatures that affect people or are they manifestations of the darkness within the human heart? Wow. And so when I wrote Demon Wars, it was supposed to be six books. And the first book was the hero's journey for several characters, the beginning, the middle and the end of the the great demon war when the dactyl came awake, if you will, and it sent his hordes of monsters and the church went through this great schism. And then the second trilogy was supposed to be the aftermath. How do they pick up the pieces with still corruption running around? And, and how does that resolve itself? And it was supposed to widen the world. Mm-hmm. Well, in the middle of it, I realized I needed a bridge book. And that became the, my favorite book I've ever written, I think, a book called Mortalis. So you have the first Demon Wars trilogy, um, starting with the Demon Awakens, then the Demon Spirit and the Demon Apostle. Then Mortalis leads into the second Demon Wars trilogy. So the first saga was seven books. And with those seven books, I created this world, and it's huge, and a magic system that could be changed in different ways for future stories. And so the second series I did in there, I went back in time, hundreds of years, to the beginning of this church, the Abelican Church, Mm -hmm. and a character called the Highwayman, who's the least likely hero you'll ever meet in your life. He basically has cerebral palsy. Oh, wow. And I did that because a friend of mine's brother, you see him walking around and, you know, and I always wondered what life must be like. Right. So here's this poor kid in a brutal time and he's, he's damaged, severely damaged physically. But inside is he's, he's the same as everybody else. He just wants things, but he just can't get his body to do it. Right. And so that's the story of, that's the story of the highwayman. 
and then the rise of the first king who unites the kingdom. It's kind of an Arthurian story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the highwayman, it's not the first king, but anyway. Right, right. So I create, there's a four book series set hundreds of years before Demon Wars. And then I got away from it for a while and I decided to come back because I got inspired again. And whenever I get inspired, I want to write. And I, I fell in love with a character that I was watching on a show. And it's one of my favorite historical characters, Anne Boleyn. Oh. I, I love the character of Anne Boleyn and I was watching The Tudors. Mm-hmm, if you haven't seen sure. it, it's a fantastic series. I, and, and Natalie Dormer plays Anne Boleyn. And she's amazing in it as the character. For sure. And and, and that and a, and a friend of mine... A couple of friends of mine became they were like inspiring to me. People I, I don't I don't know them that they're not they don't even live out here, but I see them every once in a while. And they inspired me to mm-hmm. tell the story of a witch. And so I wrote the Coven trilogy. And the first two books, Child of a Mad God and Reckoning of Fallen Gods, are out. The third book's coming. It's all done. It's coming out at the beginning of the year. Oh, cool. Awesome. And so Demon Wars now has uh, 14 books and oh, wow. a novella. I wrote the novella when I did the Kickstarter for the game. Oh, awesome. Got, yeah. Then I got Will Wheaton to read it on Audible for me. Ooh, nice pull. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, the Education of Brother Thaddeus. And, uh, I'll check it, it out. Right at, and so the, the coven begins right at the end of the first seven-book series. Like okay, kind, of, kind of overlaps, but it's in a different part of the world with different societies. Mm-hmm. Um, it. And I got inspired because I went to this mountain and looked back on this mountain lake that is very famous. And I had never been there and I never understood what's the big deal until I saw it from the mountain. And when I looked back on that lake, I, I started seeing these villages that could be around the lake. Mm-hmm. And well, what would happen if there was a gemstone cave up here? And the magic of those gemstones was keeping it so that this tribe that understood it could survive on the mountain in the winter. Oh, wow. And what an advantage they've had if their spears were tipped with these crystals that could shoot like little bolts of lightning or could heal them or could make them light on their feet so they could run up and down the mountainside faster than other people. So this whole society started growing in my thoughts and head. And I wrote the three books and had a blast. It sounds like yeah. a blast. That's amazing. You hear it in your voice. <laughs> Indeed. That's fantastic. Well, I can't wait to get into these books because, uh, yeah, I didn't know about them before I started researching for this well, episode. Well, read Child of the Mad God. Okay, I will. Thank you. Can you. Start yeah. with, you can either start with The Highwayman, Demon Awakens, or Child of a Mad God. You okay. Have, yeah, you can start with any of those three. All right, I'll, I definitely will. You're in both our book queues now that we've been doing Dritz. <laughs> Indeed. So. so I have one final question before we get to a few of fan questions. And uh, why did you kill Chewbacca? Yeah. <laughs> Just so our, fa- so our fans know what I'm talking I about. I have no context for this. Well, yeah. Because Del Rey and Bantam Doubleday Dell had a war over the license. The, new, the license was coming up. It's not a coincidence that all the licenses renewed right around the time Lucas had announced he was doing new movies. Oh, yes. okay. All right. Very smart guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Del Rey, I was working for them doing Demon Wars. And that was the phone call. After I had, had this horrible breakup with TSR, mm-hmm. I thought I was unemployed. I was going to go try and get my a job back at a high-tech company. And Del Rey called me up and they said, we want you to take as long as you can to write the best book you can. And that's how I fell into Demon Wars. And I think Terry Brooks, I think, was the one that told them, call Bob, he's free. Awesome. Um, it's great because Terry's Terry's such a dear friend. But anyway, um, uh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, yeah. How, how and why did you come to kill Chewbacca in yeah, the novel so Vector Prime? Del Rey won the, the, 
the this this massive auction and got the rights to do the books. And they had this idea to do this new Jedi Order. And they got in a room with Mike Stackpole and the people and and I think uh, oh several of the other authors from the old Star Wars expanded universe and Lucasfilm and Del Rey. They all got in a room and they decided they were going to do this Yuuzhan Vong invasion, the new Jedi Order. Right. And I think someone had been tasked with writing the book and dropped out, probably because they found out what they had to do. But oh yeah, Del Rey called me up and asked me if I would do a Star Wars, do do the first book in the new Jedi Order. And they really wanted me to do it. And they were my publisher at the time. And so the only other deadlines I had were for them. They thought it would be good for me. They thought it, they, and they really wanted to kick it off with an action packed book. And that's kind of the kind of, you know, those are the kind of books I write. Right. So I said, okay. And they told me the general story from A to Z. And my job was go from A to B or A to B, C. Right. And they said, you know, you have to use all the characters, which was a chore because I had like 14 main characters, which was a nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) Use all the characters and you have to give them a Pyrrhic victory where they think they won. But but then the reader knows they didn't. That was my entire instruction. So I came, Mm. I went home and I wrote this big outline, which I don't usually do, but you have to with Star Wars because everything has to be approved. Right. And I sent it in and I was on the phone with them and and they said, this is perfect. This is exactly what we want. And I'd already signed the contract. I'd already cashed the check. And they said, but didn't anyone tell you? And I'm like, what? You got to kill Chewbacca. And I'm like, to whom do I write the check back? And I argued right. and I fought. And That's it rough. was, um, but then Mike called me, Stackpole. And they, and this order had come down on high from Lucas that, that if they were going to kill someone, they could kill Chewbacca. Okay. okay. Lucas said you know, Chewbacca dies. So, and so I said, okay. And oh, wow. I, I, I guess it's okay now because he, he's back. He came right. Back and now he's a Disney princess. So it, yeah, it's so true. Off your hand. I, Indeed. Yeah, okay. But um, that was rough. I and bet. Cause... Rough because I had to cancel my book tour for that book. Ooh, oh, I'm sorry about that. That was the day of my brother's last MRI. He had oh. uh, pancreatic cancer. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and basically, we, we had to go home with him and to die. Yeah. So here I'm trying to deal with that. And all of a sudden I'm getting hate mail and one star reviews on all of my books from people who were just going after me and death threats and all kinds of weird stuff was going on. Yeah. My first real taste of that. And it was a very tough time. But I'm uh, I'm sorry for that. For me, I came through it just fine. And then, of course, I got to work with George on Attack of the Clones. There you go. Awesome. So, yeah. (laughs) All right. That's how. It, I, That's George, how it went down. They killed the dog, so they hired the Italian. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, despite the the negativity, that's an epic. That's an epic tale. Absolutely. The, death, the first death of Chewbacca. So we have a few fan questions. If you don't mind asking or answering them, um, I'm going to give the first question the honor to Ben Sherman, our expert on the Drew Durden episode, and he wanted to ask you. Uh, where in the realms do you enjoy writing the most? Icewind Dale, Mithril Hall, Neverwinter. Uh, Menzo Berenzen? Uh Menzo Berenzen. Yeah. Well, when I stop playing creation. with Drow, it's like I even when the story comes to me, I know that's not the real story. So I gotta look for the real story below that one. Then I know that's not the real story. So I gotta look for the real story below the real story to come up with the real story. <laughs> it, it just keeps me on my toes. I love writing and I love writing in Icewind Dale would be the other one. For sure. All right, next question we have from Slash382 off our Discord, and he asks, what are some good basics on creating a compelling and complex character? 
Yikes. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a broad one. <laughs> that's a deep one. I'm, I'm saying that as the character's going through, what I do is when the character's mm-hmm. going under pressure, whether there's a battle or, in a, or a chase scene or whatever, mm-hmm. I let the character guide me. What would the character right. do next? And through those anecdotes, I get insight into who the character is. I think that's great advice, especially since this is coming from a D&D con- context, and there's so much improvisation when it comes to Someone D&D. Someone told me a trick a long time ago, and it actually works. Fill out a job application for a D&D character. Oh, cool. <laughs> oh, gosh, I got to try that. <laughs> and it actually works. Oh, wow. I, I do have to try that. That sounds amazing. Look inward through job um, applications. This is asked by Slothbear today off of our Discord, and they ask, is there a new character you want to or are going to be writing a book about? Yeah, her name is Owlin, and she's in Child of a Mad God and the Demon Wars books, absolutely. In the realms? Um, yes, there is. Um, but since I'm working on the last book of the trilogy now, and I'm not sure if this is it or not, <laughs> that's my last one I'm under contract for. Um, that's why I'm not going to tell you anything about that, but yeah, there is, yeah. Um, it's not really a new character, but it's a new perspective and, and an old character brought back basically not brought back from the dead, but an old character who's out there that I haven't used in a long time in, in new lights. And then I'm sure in, because of what I want to write next, many new characters will be involved. Okay. Many new characters will be involved. Fantastic. Sweet. I think that question is definitely answered. Um, this one is from slash three, eight, two again. And he asks, what is something you regret giving Drizzt? Uh, character flaw, physical trait, magic item, etc. Is there anything you ever regret giving him? Um, not really, because it's been so organic. Right, um, right. And if there's something I gave him that I didn't like, I'd take it away. There you go. Right? <laughs> and, and it's it's um, not really, because, again, it's been such an organic journey with with Dritz. That, by the way, remember when I, I think I, I told you that I only had a couple of issues with your with your expert. <laughs> yes, yes. One of them was I think people are missing the point on what's going on with Dritz now. He's he's mm-hmm. training with Grandmaster Kane, who, by the way, would kick his butt if they fought. Right. But this isn't because I heard, you know, overpowered. Right, right, right. No, um, it, he can kill you with it. He, he's getting to the point where he could probably kill you with a with, a, with his hand. But mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. that, he could have killed you with a scimitar even easier. Right. So, it, and this is really more of a philosophical philosophical journey for Dritz than a mm-hmm. power up, if you will. Like people right. say, oh, now he's got now he's got levels in monk. Monk. <laughs> right. Get it like that. If you I want agree. to take away levels in with something else to give him the levels in monk, it doesn't matter to me. I don't think of it in those terms. This is just right. It's like it's like me being a bouncer when I was when I was uh, going through college. Right. I was a bouncer uh-huh. for years. And I was a boxer in high school, mm-hmm. and then training a little bit in martial arts when I was bouncing and then training a little bit in sword fighting for a while there. And then all of a sudden finding my absolute love in yoga. Oh, wow. Yes. And yoga. it's the same type of thing. It's, it's, it's fine. It's his evolution as a person. Right. People in real life, their horizons broaden over time. Why would it be different for characters? Right. And mm-hmm. as far as being overpowered, he can't do anything with his hands that he wouldn't have done with his swords. Right. Right. And I mean, cut. It comes down to, I think what happens in this case a lot is fans are viewing it from a game perspective. And so for them, everything is like mechanically defined. But that's not the story. But it's also more than that. Right. It's in 30 books, more than 30 books. Right. There are fights in every book. 
He keeps surviving the fights. Mm-hmm. If he didn't series, he would have been over. He would have been out of the series. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> so just quantity makes him look overpowered. Right. That makes sense. That makes and a lot I of sense. I always find it funny when I give him a challenge, like a couple of orcs give him a tough fight. Mm-hmm. And people are like, how could that possibly be? And it's almost like you have to step back from the game and remind yourself. And this is my favorite difference between D&D and real life. Mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons, first edition, second edition, fifth edition, whatever. You've got a 20th level warrior and you've got 100 hit points. And a young thief decides he's going to make his name. A young assassin or thief decides he's going to make his name by killing you. And he walks up behind you and he shoves a dagger in your back. Mm-hmm. In the game, you take one to four or two, two D four plus whatever hit right. points of damage. You turn around and you swat him like a bug. Right. In real life, you fall down and cry a lot. Yep. And that's so you always got to try and separate the two. So I, don't, I agree. You know, I try to stay away from the overpowered thing. No, I agree with you 100 percent. Yeah. Like no matter what, he's going to have some it. vulnerability to him because he's a mortal that exists. Yeah. In a world with physics. Yeah. So. And knives. And in a thousand fights, you can only lose one. Yeah, exactly. There we go. So I have one final question for you, sir. Uh, and this is kind of an inside joke on our Patreon. Patreon. And this question always gets asked. Do you have a favorite breakfast burrito and or breakfast sandwich? Oh, yeah. I would like a ham and cheese and egg burrito. There we go. Sounds good. With a lot of hot sauce on it. All right. And there's a place in Hermosa Beach called Good Stuff on the Strand where you can get the best breakfast burritos. I have to go check this out. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you for answering the question. And that was Velocity off Discord who asked that question. And thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. We can't tell you how much we appreciate it. It's been... uh, fascinating and exciting and thank you again well my yeah. pleasure absolutely and thank you for continuing to write i i can't wait to i'm the uh i always play the ignorant role on the show i can't wait to um be enlightened <laughs> <laughs> and with that uh folks i think we're gonna call it a game and we will talk to you guys later Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.